in three two one what's going on folks welcome to 34 questions i'm your host 34 tonight i'm joined by a very special guest rod Das magbal is in the building how you doing tonight rod? chilling man chilling it's been quite a year for me for sure you know sure. so right now it's just like i feel like my body is kind of shutting down but i got a lot of still i got a lot of responsibilities i still need to you know no, I got uh, you. Meat, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> for sure, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's December. Uh, perfect time. Like, if you don't mind me asking, what was your biggest highlight of the year for yourself? Oh, man, there's a lot, man. A lot of things to be um, uh, blessed about. I um, I was a mayor for Daily City for 2022. And then I was also um, running for re-election for a council member. I was also tenure track um full-time ethnic studies professor at skyline college so all those things were happening the like mm. half <laughs> year of campaigning um being mayor and also trying to you know do the whole academic grind you know what i'm saying man you you have your plate full or you kept it full all year long you so. know and then that's on top of being a father and a husband and also running a non-profit as well so it yeah. was totally <laughs> Checking off all the boxes, man. Checking off all the boxes. Uh, somebody mm-hmm. I'm trying to get to, man, as or as far as the level you're at, uh, maybe one day. But uh, as for now, I'm just hosting this podcast, doing my day job. Um, well, I'm glad. I'm glad to hear that you had a great year, it uh, sounds like. And um, hopefully more energy to you in 23 uh, upcoming. Um, you know, for the folks... Oh, sorry about that. Uh, but uh, for the folks out there who are unfamiliar with the flow of the show, uh, maybe Rod, this is new to you too. Just let me break it down one time. Um, but we're going to start off with some warm-up questions, uh, and then we'll jump into an icebreaker. After that, we'll turn to the Wheel of Fate, and then we'll do a little mantra right before we get to the closeout. Sound good to you, Rod? Sounds good, man. Ready for it. For sure. Um, but my very first question, um, regardless of the warm-up, is going to be, how have you been? You've been doing well. You've been doing great. Mm-hmm. How you been lately, man? Oof. I've been all right, man. Mm. I'm living. You know, a lot of times um, you get in your own head, but then sometimes that's what the brain tries to tell you what to do because, you know, it's trying to make you survive, you know, and all the anxiety, all the stress, but then all at the same time, wherever there's a a way of feeling in certain way, you're feeling that way because there's a functional opposite of things. Mm-hmm. So if there's anxiety and depression, there's also joy and happiness and, and blessings. So that's where I've been at right now. For sure, man. Yeah. Um, and you happen to have any piece of advice maybe for someone who's probably going through a similar thing. Um, how do you keep yourself balanced or, you know, in a good mood? <laughs> Mm-hmm. Well, I, I want to shout out one of my mentors, uh, Dr. Allison Tintianco Kubales. Uh, she's a person that coined this term called Penaism, which is Filipino feminism. And she's like one of the, you know, ethnic studies, like, she would hate to, that I call her this, but an expert in ethnic studies. But she would always say that purpose, you got to be anchored in purpose. A lot of people say that you got to have the passion for that, passion for that. But sometimes passion kind of um gets overwhelming mm. but you always got to remind yourself what is like your purpose you know what do you envision you know i always, I always told my students like you know I don't, I don't precisely know where i'm gonna go but i accurately know where i'm going mm. i got you yeah yeah uh, that's a good one i'm gonna have to keep that in mind and honestly sure. man um you know doing anything following any dreams you're gonna have a bunch of ups and downs and uh, yeah, I gotta remember to stay connected to my purpose for sure. I think uh, without even me realizing what that statement was, I think that's what I've been trying to do or focus on since I, I, st- I started uh, doing this show. Um, right on, glad, glad to hear that you're you're making it through, man. Um, mm-hmm. All right, we're gonna move on to the warm up. Uh, okay. So. <laughs> warm yeah you know it you know it, man <laughs> uh so my first question for you in the warm-up is what would you like the audience to know about you oh i love this question this is like a, a legacy question i think that what i want folks to know is that um i am a extension of my ancestors mm. you know 
a lot of times we had that saying like you know i'm like my ancestors wildest dreams sometimes i always feel like i'm also a um i bear the responsibility of my ancestors i know the history of my family i know the history of my people and also to quote one of my um good friends who was an ancestor is dr don um abalon and she was a filipino american professor and when we're talking about ethnic studies she always had these three questions about ethnic studies that when you teach ethnic studies you got to remember where your people come from what is the story about your people what is the story about your community and then how do you take all those stories and take on the responsibilities to have those legacies leave, live on so when we talk about like what i want my audience to know i want them to know that i am a leader i'm a father i'm a husband i'm a son um i'm a professor I'm a politician, I'm an organizer, but then I do all those things not for fame, but it's also it's related to my purpose, but it's also related to you know, what are you based on that those responsibilities of what my ancestors have provided me, what am I taking those to become the um responsibility and bearer those narratives and pass it on to my successors. And um and so that's what I want my audience to know got you man i got you thank you for sharing um sure, man. i gotta ask uh for more advice because mm -hmm. i'm a person who feels a little disconnected um you know from filipino history it's weird because growing up in the bay area i don't know if you're familiar with pep or oh uh, yeah yeah i never experienced it it wasn't in my school i, I wasn't part of the program yeah. um and now that i'm older and i meet more filipinos in the community and they always bring up pep uh, shout out to pep hey i'm um, the executive director of pep man <laughs> oh, there you go dog. <laughs> uh, yeah you're surprised me at every turn dog. i didn't know you were mayor <laughs> for <laughs> adelia city and now yeah, yeah. you're the executive of pep but yeah so yeah i i didn't have that uh, i didn't have that connection but you know be for some reason I, I still was drawn to ancestors and you know what is for me i didn't have a connection with my grandparents it kind of stops with my, with my parents um so i have this this thing in the back of my head that keeps telling me like you know you you have to reach out somehow um where did you start or like where can i start as somebody at my age you know trying to feel a little more connected well what it started for me was like um I'm a kid in the 90s, you know, and, you know, I, I was a person that came a consciousness because of like 90s hip hop. And, mm, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, even though I rep Daily City, I'm the mayor of Daily City, I grew up in Southern California. And I a lot of my political awakening happened right after the L.A. riots and listening to the music of like N.W.A., Public Enemy, KRS-One. A lot of those things were politicizing me and it, it gave me an understanding of like my own context because I lived in Long Beach, California, but then also lived in the suburbs of Riverside, California, because there was hella gangs in Long mm -hmm. Beach. And then my parents were like, yo, we need to move out of uh, Long Beach and go to the safe haven of like Riverside, California. And at the time, it was a very, very white community. So I was like, it's very opposite of the Bay where it was like, I could see one of myself and many others but then when I moved, when I was a kid, right after the LA riots, I was like the only Filipino kid amongst like my whole school. And so that's when my political awakening was happening. It was the LA riots, it was hip hop. And if that music was the music for the black experience, I was always wondering like, does that apply to the Filipino American experience? And at, so at the same time, my brother, my older brother, shout out to my modern rich, um, he was taking the first Filipino American history class at UC Riverside at the time. And he came home one day and he was like, yo, Rod, you got to check out this book. It's called America's in the Heart by Carlos Bolosan. And I was like, what is this? And he's like, dude, they got Ilocano in this book. I was like, get out of here. You got no Ilocano. <laughs> and I was like, when was this book written? He's like, this book was written like 1930s or something. And I was like, what? And this guy was, you know, you're reading the first half and it's about this guy that was from the Philippines back in the 1930s that went through poverty and he had to move to the, from the Philippines to America. And what was crazy was that I always thought that Philippine American history started with my mom coming here as a nurse, but my grandpa came here in the 1930s and that book was reflective of my grandpa's experience. 
and he would tell me about all the different um, racist histories that he had un um, to undergo when he was um, living here, when he was like 19, 20 years old. He would tell me about how he would get harassed by cops. And in Carlos Belosan, he has this one quote that's very famous from his book. And he's like, um, it was something like, I might, I think I'm butchering it, but it was something to the, to the fact like, um, to be Filipino in California is like being a criminal, you know, because of like the laws that were, um, where Filipino men couldn't be caught with white women because there was like anti-miscegenation laws where white women couldn't marry um, men of color. Um, it was also at the same time where if when we hear all this rhetoric about Donald Trump and he was talking about this anti-immigrant voice and he was talking about make America great again, he was actually referring back to those time periods because the people that was advising him with those policies referred back to the 1930s when they had straight exclusion of many, um, many immigrants. Mm -hmm. And that's where my political awakening happened was that book, America's in a Heart by Carlos Belosan. It was also, my brother brought in this other book called um, Filipinos Have Forgotten Asian Americans. And it was a book written by one of the, the godfathers of Philippine American history, Fred Cordova. And I remember flipping through the, through the pages and there was this like freaking Bahai Kubu right in the middle of like uh, New Orleans, I mean, Louisiana in, in the, in the, in the, um, and I was like, what? How did the Filipinos come here in the, in the, in the, in the 1500s? Like, this is crazy. I thought my Filipino American history started when my mom came here. Yeah. And it was a trip to see that, you know, Filipinos contributed to American history even prior to the establishment of the United States, prior to 1776. So when I was reading all that at a young age, I think I was around like 14, 15 years old, it started all these little fragments of understanding race, racism, um, the absence of my own history in the, in the curriculum book, my own uh, race, racialized experience and dealing with racism, getting bullied, getting beat up because they didn't know what a Filipino was. That really politicized me at a very young age. And that there was this thirst, there was this like desire to understand everything and anything about Filipino Americans. And this is like around like 1993, 94. And I was thinking like the hip hop and the politicization of hip hop and then seeing all these different Filipino DJs and like my homies were DJs and we'd see like uh, this, you know, Scratch Pickles and all these other cats that were passing VHS tapes with these Filipino cats on DJing. And I was like, damn, this is crazy. You know, because we didn't have a YouTube to see ourselves in the textbooks within the teachers or on the TV screen or on the big screen mm -hmm. or um, like Filipino-ness was relegate, relegated to like my mom and pop's conversation. And for them it was like, just follow whatever they say in the schools. Yeah. Just follow what you say. Keep your head down. Don't cause a ruckus. And I was like, nah, no, you know, it's like. There was, it was by design that we did. We, could, we weren't learning our history. It wasn't by accident, you know? So, you know, those are the things that really politicized me. And for me, I think those books are the ones that are, um, were really, really shaped my worldview on like Filipino American experience. And, you know, you fast forward about like 30 years now, now we have like, um, you know, we talked about Allison um, earlier. Um, Allison, Dr. E.G.R. David, and Dr. Um, Kevin Nadal, they're both Filipino-American psychologists. They all just came out with the Filipino, Filipina, Filipino, Philippine ex-American encyclopedia. So now they have like an encyclopedia of hella stuff. And, you know, I wrote about a Penai organizer. Her name is Bullet X, um, her, or AKA Violeta Marisigan. You know, like things like that. Like, it's like, I felt like I was robbed of something mm -hmm. like why didn't somebody tell me this history and i think that's the reason why i do so much stuff like i don't do this for um for fame like i'm doing this so that we're creating a generational uh, decisions here so that the next person that comes to the door the door is open for them and they got like people that can mentor them because like for me i felt like i was in a flashlight in a dark ass room and 
I was finding other Filipinos with flashlights and we came together to illuminate a space. And that was Pep, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, yeah. No, I got you, man. And uh, honestly, man, you're inspiring me with the with all the knowledge you just shared. Uh, definitely, I want to. I need to look into, you know, the writings you're talking about before 1776, because mm-hmm. uh, that does blow my mind. Yeah, and you know, the travels of those folks. How? My first question is how. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, that's crazy that your political awakening yeah. came in um, back in, in Riverside. Uh, yeah, man. <laughs> so as soon as you like was moved, right? You felt this this uh, shift in yourself. Uh, what was like your first action mm-hmm. after that? Was it, was it to reach out to people, Ooh. find organizations? No. Yeah. I mean, I think I think it's just a lot of things were just just like just how we see this little political awakening right now. You know, people think that Black Lives Matter is a very contemporary thing, but this is like part of the Black Power movement. This is like those things have different legacies of different things. Um, and for me, I think. Um, because of the LA riots, it it created these different. Um, it put a mirror to America to America's society back then, and as a way to address that form of structural racism, there was different programs that started to emerge. And one of the um, programs that emerged was in Riverside. There was this uh, program that emerged out of the uh, UC Riverside's Asian Pacific Student Programs, and they started this youth program called um, the Youth Community Outreach Program. And which is funny because the person that uh, started this program, Dr. Grace Yu, she's actually a professor at SS State. So when I decided to get my master's and all that, she was here and she's still in my life, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like years later. And um, that program allowed me to investigate, interrogate, and also kind of like what they call uh, decolonize to understand what it meant to be Asian American or what it meant to be Filipino American and because the whole purpose behind that uh, youth community outreach program it was called YCOP was to connect all the different Asian American and Pacific Islander community um, like youth student communities around um, UC Riverside because there was such a small number connect them to the large number of API um, students at UC Riverside how do you create this bridge and community but also at the same time um get to learn about identity you know so i was going to um, to rap sessions i mean that's how i met my wife (laughs) who my my current wife and you know she was she was the president of her asian club and then at arrival high school was my my high school ramona high school in riverside and you know we got together with all these different asian clubs from the inland empire and we would talk about what are the issues that asian american youth face what is Asian American history? What is it to be Asian American? What are the, um, and also at the same time, like gangs, like why are Asian Americans joining gangs? And that was one of the reasons why we left Long Beach. I had uncles and aunties that were getting arrested, going to jail. Um, I had friends of mine that were joining gangs at such a young age, going through mental health issues. You know, we didn't have the language back then, but at those, at that time, they were suffering so from so much trauma that they were, there was a reason why they were self-medicating. There was a reason why they were joining gangs because there was a lack of community that they had. They didn't have a place where they could understand and contextualize their own experiences. So they had mm-hmm. to numb themselves from the realities. They had to join gangs because it provided a sense of community. But the problem with it was the direction and purpose of gangs, right? Because you're trying to fight for status. You're trying to fight for some sort of like um, notoriety. And the notoriety was who was the toughest. Mm-hmm. Or you know, if you have lack of funds, you go to criminality, you know? So when we think about like um, these different street organizations, it was for me joining that program was there was nothing wrong with gangs. It was just the direction of gangs. They were just being misinformed. And yeah, yeah. that's that's where um, that's where my political awakening was happening was through that program because it was through ethnic studies. It was through learning about my history and you know, we were all young folks learning about like what it meant to be Asian American and Pacific Islander. And then we, on top of that, we were b-boying and we were DJing, we were tagging, we were, some people were in car racing, they were DJing. So it gave us like an identity and sure. understanding and purpose for, for all this. So, you know, no. that's, that's how it all started, man. 
I got you. I got you, man. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like an incredible story. You got to make a movie mm-hmm. about your life one day. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who it played. Probably my son. <laughs> one day, man. One day. I know. One day. Uh, sorry, we got to move on to the second oh, yeah, question yeah, sure, to man. the warm up, sure. which is um, if I could do some kind of act to express the energy you possess, what could I do? Like, how, how would you like to be honored? Can you repeat that question one more time? If there was some kind of act that I could do to express the energy you possess, what could I do? How, how would you like to be honored? Create. Mm. Create, reflect, um, journal, express. I think that's the act that I would tell folks or you or any gotcha. listeners do. You know, I, I don't think we do enough reflecting. We do a lot of doing. But, you know, just to quote the words of like Bob Marley, you you know, in this bright future, you can't forget your past, right? So yeah. in order to extend forward, you know, you got to be able to like reflect, you know, with everything that we have, all the devices we have. You know, one thing that I kind of do is like, I, I'll stop and look at all the pictures I, I, I take in with my phone. Um, that's one way of reflecting. I do journaling. Um, lately, I don't know what happened this this past year, but I felt like it was like the late 90s. I started writing poetry for with youth, you know, and I I haven't wrote poetry in like, man, like more than 20 years. And then I, I got involved with like some of the Daily City youth and the Daily City Poet Laureate through the Daily City Public Library Associates. And, you know, they asked me like, hey, can you publish? Can you write? Can you perform? And I was like, this is weird. I haven't done this in a minute, <laughs> but I did, you know, and and sometimes we got to be able to play. You know, we don't do that enough, you know. Um, yeah, I think that's what I would do. Create, play, reflect. So, yeah. so you, you're mentioning that we don't do this enough as a society. <laughs> why, why do you think that is? Like, why don't we play? Why don't we reflect? <laughs> well, the easiest answer would be capitalism. <laughs> I got you. I got you. you know, because the thing is, it's like we have this expectation of output, output, right? Like you, even when we are younger, it's like, go get your education, get an education, get a job. Once you get that job, you need to get the house. You need to get this and that, you know? And so we are so linear from getting from point A to point Z that in order to get to point Z or even to the Omega, extend (laughs) beyond the alphabet, we don't do enough reflecting, you know? And sometimes you just get caught up in the future tense and that's gonna make you anxious. And sometimes you don't feel, and that's also part of capitalism and part of mental health is we're so fast forward and I'm guilty of this too, just being so fast forward and future oriented and you're wishing, expecting to be where you're at or you should be when you need to stop and just like take it slow you know walk enjoy like what you have and you know um and then sometimes people ask me how did you do this this past year how were you mayor how were you i was like i stopped and reflect but then it was really really hard because there were so many expectations of myself and the community have on me but then it's also kind of like thinking to my head, like how many people can say they were a mayor of a town? How many people could say they were a professor with all these students? How many people could say that they had the privilege of teaching Philippine American studies? You know, and those are the small things that, you know, if you put in perspective in a, a drone sense of like the drone perspective, dang, it's something that I, I should appreciate more. I should appreciate more, you know. Yeah, I mean, you, you got your lifetime to to appreciate everything. <laughs> yeah, um, but no, you're right. You're right. Uh, mm-hmm. Reflection is definitely. I think I've always done it internally, and um, mm-hmm. I I grew up an only child, so I feel like mm-hmm. being in my head and you know reviewing the day, thinking about all these things, it's, it, it comes natural. <laughs> uh, maybe a little too much though. I think there's such <laughs> such a thing as too much reflection <laughs> sometimes. Um, and you know and share with other folks i would say you know and that's the hard part because you know it's like we're so scared to share ourselves with others because you know constantly feel like we're gonna be judged for stuff but i think you gotta know who your your real ones are i got you you know I got you yeah no i'm normally terrified to be honest with you uh the, the only <laughs> time <that's> normal. <laughs> 
the only time I really can open up is actually on, on the podcast, and I think it's mm-hmm. because I set it up where I'm not giving any judgment, so I'm hoping my guest mm-hmm. doesn't give any judgment as well, and it makes me feel more yeah. free. Uh, yeah. But yeah, my friends and stuff, they always trying to get me to talk more. Uh, I don't know if you know people... <laughs> You ask them to tell a story and they don't tell you the story. They just get to the end right away. I'm that mm-hmm. I'm that guy. <laughs> but um, for sure, man. Now we know to create and play yeah. for you. Uh, <laughs> or, you know, your folks will definitely do that. And myself as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's move on to the last question of the warm up, which is sure. on a scale from one to ten. How well do you know yourself? Ooh. One to ten. I would say about... I would say I'm like an eight and a half. How'd you get to it? Yeah, how'd you get to the 8.5? Because I still feel like there are still some insecurities that I need to unlock. And that's that 1.5. I got you. I, I think I, I know myself well enough. Um, but then, there, you know, there's always certain situations that you get yourself into that you never think that you can get over obstacles, you know, but then a lot of those experiences that I have overcame allowed me to get to where I'm at today. And then the other 1.5 is always kind of like that room for improvement or that other unlocking of a, you know, it might be even lower shit. (laughs) (laughs) It's wherever you feel you you are right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe I would say, I'm changing my answer now. I was like at eight. (laughs) (laughs) I got you. You got to give yourself some space. Give it some room. Um, no, I mean, I, I feel you on that. I I think when I first started this pod, I would always say I was at a five out of 10. Um, mm-hmm. And after a couple of years doing it, I think I've bumped myself up to maybe a 6.5, 7. Um, mm-hmm. I think that just comes with age. You know, you grow more, right, right. you're more self-aware uh, of who you are. Um, but, but for you, I want to ask just a little addition, but what's your favorite thing about your personality? For you, you're just like, who I am I embrace it to the fullest oh man um I'm gonna use this because I, I teach my students this stuff so and I teach my um since I have the privilege to teach like Philippine history and Philippine American studies and all that stuff I think within myself and many um Filipinos it's how we give life and there's a this word called to animate we are animated people. And to animate is to give life. It's more than just cartoons. But what I, what every, everything that I do is to give life. Everything that I, spaces that I, I enter, I enter um, my kids probably hate it because, you know, sometimes I go off in these lectures <laughs> and or I try to ask them questions so that they can figure it out for themselves. But I'm always there to, you know, just radiate life, animate. That's wild, man. That's a Filipino yeah. thing. <laughs> I mean, uh, because the thing is, is that, you know, so the question my, my students always ask me is like, why are Filipinos so religious? Hmm. You know, like, why, why are we the most hardcore Catholics? And so I go back to, and like, I, I don't want to say I know everything because I read a lot. So this is a sh- shout out to... Uh, Katrine de Gia, and she wrote this book called Kapwa. And Kapwa is this kind of pre-colonial value of like, you are who you are based on the relationships to your to everything around you, right? To nature, to your ancestors, to, to the world, to the people, to the community. But one of the core values of it is we've always been able to animate, right? That's why Filipinos, we be like, and so uh, in pre-colonial settings, a lot of these rituals that they would do, singing, dancing, um, spiritual beliefs, it was all around and surrounded this, by this idea of animation, to animate. So when they say like, why Filipinos are so religious, it's because we've always been about spirituality. We've always been about animating who we are. Why are Filipinos good at dancing and singing? because that gives life that gives joy in this core value of different things it's about animation how do you animate um who you are right and so for me um i mean that's a very broad stroke but 
Um, and I and also a shout out to my other uh, mentor, uh, Tita Lenny Strobel, who used to be a professor at Sonoma State, wrote this book on decolonization. And I remember um, I used to teach at Sonoma State University. And one of the days I went in there early and had this conversation with her, she mentioned that as well. You know, like it's no surprise. Like I'm like, oh my God, this DJing stuff. And it's like, there's no surprise to it because we've always been in a position or culture that has been animated <laughs> in everything that we do. I, I never tripped off it, man, but I I know deep down inside for myself, like, you know, just creating stuff in, in general. Mm-hmm. I'm not a, I'm not a singer or dancer. I'm like the only Filipino that doesn't know either. Hey, I don't but. sing or dance either. <laughs> leave it up to my kids. Yeah, yeah, I got you. <laughs> but, you know, just this, this um, you, you say animate, and mm-hmm. in my mind, it's always been creation. Like I, I, every day, I feel like the need to either write something, um, try to record something, try to edit something. Um, it's all about creation for me. And I work with students as well. I work at a high school in uh, San Francisco. Um, all right. And, you know, coming in, I was, at least even right now, um, I, I remember my boss in my interview was asking me, like, oh, we're looking for someone with flavor, right? And I'm mm-hmm. all like, oh, you're looking for flavor? It's good. I got you. Right. <laughs> um and so coming in, yeah, it's all about for me trying to right now, since after, you know after COVID and everything, things are I think changing or there's opportunity for change in the education system. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I work for after school, so for me, it's all about changing the after school framework and what values or what lessons I can give the kids or opportunities I can give the kids to just like I, I tell them. You think of after school as just right now in high school, but I'm right. telling, I'm thinking of it as like when you're done with college, what are you doing after you're done with education? Like, um, so those are just kind of things I'm trying to hint at. And same same way, I, I guess with your students, I I go I ramble sometimes or I'll ask questions, um, where which you know in one year out the other, especially in high school. <laughs> uh, but you know we just hope things stick. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> as we throw it on the wall. But uh, yeah, man, damn so enlightening thank you uh thank you again for coming through dog <laughs> of course, of course. Um, all right so we finished the warm-up uh before we get to the wheel of fate we're gonna do a okay. quick icebreaker which is a word-for-word word association game all right okay uh, so here we go jumping into the icebreaker uh we're gonna put 34 seconds on the clock uh, you have okay. 34 to do as many as you can um no no pressure though i think the record right. is 12 and 34 seconds okay yeah here we go. In three, two, one. People. Community. Life. Animation. Past. Our history. Lost. It's also found. Idea. Life. Believe. Your gut. Fear. Being safe. Crazy. Ideas. Love. Also hate. And I'll give you one more. Happiness. Joy. Gotcha, man. <laughs> Appreciate that. Uh, you, I want to, I'm going to press on one, which is uh, oh, yeah, yeah. for fear, you said uh, safe or feel safe. Mm-hmm. Uh, why did that come up in your mind? Um, I think sometimes... People are always, it's, um, again, I, I go back to like my own therapy and my own healing. Sometimes we get scared, but it's also um, your brain telling you how to be safe. Right? It's your survival mode. It's it's a thing that you kind of learn. Um, even when I was a little kid, <laughs> growing up, um, in a whole community of gangs and also in the 90s it's like you had this fear but it's also kind of like what is what are you trying to do it's your it's your brain also conditioned to be like what do you got to do to be to keep yourself safe i got you you know and uh i, I want to ask you about you know your mayor mayoral mayoral run <laughs> yeah um, yeah were you fearful of that i i can imagine yes. a lot of pressure and and everything mm-hmm. but you know so you stepped in with, or needed stepped in with fear, but you had fear before stepping in. How did, how were you able to kind of reframe that in your mind to just say, you know, I'm going to do this? Um, I, 
I think for me, it was also, it was related to my purpose. Because the thing is, like, you know how you're talking about your principal asking you about how you gonna bring your flavor, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. And I was like, yo, I'm gonna be the mayor that I wish I, I wish I can observe growing up. Like who was the hip hop mayor? Who was the mayor that can connect with young people, with elder folks? Who's the mayor that can bring topics about race and racism and converse about these different things? And I knew it's, it was fearful. Like if you ask my wife, she'd probably be like, damn, why are you always scared? <laughs> and it, it was always because I was doing something that was out of the ordinary. Because I don't know what was going to happen. Now, you know, most mayors come in, they'll give you numbers. They give you stats. They give you like budgets. And I did all that too. But then also at the same time, I want to give you perspective. I wanted to give you um, understanding. I also want to give you beauty. Because a lot of times it's so easy to... I always tell people like... People always ask me like, how, how did it feel about being mayor? I was like, man, it felt like the biggest spotlight in your face. And on your back was, or it was like the the brightest spotlight in your face, along with the biggest target on your back. Mm. And that that was a lot of fear, you know. But also at the same time, I had to ground myself. I had to ground myself. Like, shit, I, I was I was meant for this. All the stuff that I've learned in ethnic studies, all the stuff that my ancestors, my grandpa had to go through, all the things that I like, my family has dreamed of that are in the Philippines that can't be in the position I'm in, I'm doing this for them. I'm doing this for my kids to show that in the times of the most craziest times of during COVID, during the Trump administration, that they had parents that stood up to this. And when they grow up and hoping, I'm very, I'm, I'm hoping that they saw that, that they were like, you know, my dad wasn't a punk. My dad stepped up to these different things. They didn't shy away from these different things. So for me, it was always the... Um, I also had this idea of like uh, the story being. You are who you are based on the stories that are told to you, right? And ethnic studies was those stories for me. But also at the same time as being a story being, you are, you're also an author of the future. What do you want to write so that the narratives that get passed on to future generations and they would, they would see this time period. What are they going to say about what Filipinos did during this time period? I wasn't just present tense. I was also in the mindset of like taking the past, envisioning what is in the future, but the work is in the present, you know? And that's what I was always thinking about in terms of, the may of being mayor. So when you talk about fear and also safety, but it was also grounded in purpose. And that purpose was like, the decisions wasn't being made at this present time. The decisions are going to be made for the next generation that could step, step up to the next, um, step up in the next generation and, and see what I've done, right? And hopefully, you know, I've been able to shed the light for the next generation, you know? So that's, that's, that's my whole thing. That was, you know, I'm not... I think when people say like, I'm colorblind, I'm like, nah, that you're being colorblind, but then now you're denying the presence and you're denying like race and acknowledging that there is racism, but also at the same time is like, you have the historical responsibility that people that look like me were not even given the privilege to be in this space. So I've wanted to honor my role as mayor. I wanted to provide this sense of hope identity and purpose i mean I'm, I'm sure man you you showed a lot of a lot of people the possibilities right uh mm -hmm. you know i don't think i knew a filipino mayor growing up uh, <laughs> even, even in the bay uh, now we have hella yeah. <laughs> oh, I don't say more than before <laughs> for sure for sure um but yeah, yeah you know it's just showing a lot of the you know the next generation if you want to this is what can be achieved uh and yeah, I had this one question, and I'm trying to remember it, but I think it's flown away. If it comes back to me, I'll, I'll let you know. Oh, yeah, man. Let me uh, know. But let's jump into our main meat of the program, which is uh, mm -hmm. the Wheel of Fate. Uh, so okay. I'm going to give it a spin, 
and whichever number lands on we'll we'll go with it uh and remember if any questions too deep or too personal feel free to pass we have number 18 which is uh what is something you're insecure about Oh man, this is such the Filipino thing right here. I'm 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 scared of messing up. I'm a perfectionist. Gotcha. You know. Yeah. And I think that's kind of like, man, um I got to I got to humanize myself like we're going to make mistakes. But I think that's the thing. It's like, you know, I know the historical responsibility that I have, but then there's a lot of people that lean on me that um it almost kind of puts me in a place where I can't mess up, right. you know? And that's, 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 that's what, that's the hard thing. For sure. And it's like, yeah. you know, even, even when you think you're messing up to everybody else, you might not be right. It's, it's just, yeah. oh, you're doing your thing regardless. Uh, but right, right, right. I hear you dog, as far as like, just telling yourself you could, I could have done better or I could have done more than mm -hmm. just that. It's really a tough thing to, to overcome sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, so for this perfectionism, it, you think this is more nature or nurture for you? Like, do you see it in your folks as well? Or you think it's just because, you know, of how you were raised? Oh. I think it was how I was raised. But it's also kind of like, we also talk about this idea of generational trauma, right? Like there was probably this, this um, like, and when these, these forms of trauma never get resolved, it gets passed on from the next generation. And I'm pretty sure like it probably happened to my mom because my mom was the hope of my family, along with my other auntie to take my family out of poverty, you know? And and that's a lot of responsibility on a young person, you know? And then my mom had these expectations of my brother and I, you know? It's like, I came here to America, what are you gonna do? You know, so it's one of those things as well. So. That's that, that form of perfectionism comes from these ideas or these kind of like the phenomenon of generational trauma. But then also at the same time, by recognizing it, it's also my hope that I can address it and become a, a form of generational healing as well. I feel you, man. Um, yeah. And do you still see, I guess, you know, working with students, that perfectionism still be super relevant in, in our culture? <laughs> Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, most definitely, especially amongst um, immigrant um, students, where it's like, you know, they know that their parents sacrificed so much for them to come to America. And they have this idea of the American dream that I, I, I need to make it in America. And I see it with a lot of my students, shoot, I even see it like even with a lot of the folks that I, I work with, you know, and yeah. it's almost, it's like a double-edged sword. It's like, it's got me this far, but also at what detriment? I hear you. you know, so. I think that's something that uh, maybe it has been talked about. Maybe there's already research on it, but uh, for children of immigrants coming on, I, I know I just, I'm familiar with that pressure and I don't think it's put on me by my parents, but just, you know, as we get older, we realize like, I don't know how old were your parents when they immigrated over here, but my folks, they were in early 20s. So like just the thought mm -hmm. of me right now uprooting myself from America and moving somewhere else to be like, all right, this is where I'm going to be away from everybody is is wild. It yeah. is extremely wild. Yeah. Um, so in, to, to, to do that in the 80s and the 90s and even before that, it's like <laughs> mm -hmm. you basically say peace to everyone, you know, and just like hoping for the yep. best, um, which is crazy adventure. Oh. I mean, and that's yeah. crazy because like my grandpa did that too you know it's like my grandpa came here as a 19 year old kid you know with a form of adventure as a form to do something better for themselves because they came from very impoverished um backgrounds you know and then he comes back to the philippines has my mom you know so the, these these different patterns we don't really think about it but what does it do to these future generations of like escaping poverty and you know like i'm at a point where i'm privileged to have a like a a roof over my head and i don't have to question about the next meal and i do have jobs that i love and the thing is it's like that those things of perfection and it's it's that idea of, of, the, of the fear thing right you're like i don't want to be um 
it's this kind of like fear of like going hungry, you know, and that's kind of like what my dad and my mom pushed, you know, it's like I got to a point where we, like my dad always tell me like, you know, when I was a boy, it was a luxury to eat meat. You know, I only ate, you know, fish and tomates and rice, you know, like rice and tomatoes and, you know, bogong, you know, and that's all we had. And I'm like, holy smokes, <laughs> you know, so for them, their idea of fear is like it pushed them to be where they're at today, but also at what detriment, you know? Yeah. And so we have to really look at ourselves at a society level, like, is this um, sustainable? You know, especially with like so many folks that are going through so much mental health um, stuff nowadays and being anxious and depressed or even have like suicide ideation, you know? And I see that with my students, you know? And it's just like, you know, it's, it's hard. But I also have to kind of give them a context about maybe, maybe this is probably why you may feel like this, you know. So. Mm-hmm. Um, were, were you uh, ever had a chance to connect with your grandfather? Like the, the one that was immigrated here early? Yeah, I did. But it, it's so crazy because there was also a generation gap as well. Because mm-hmm. um, the con- so the connection was like my grandparents lived with me. But because of like language and and I, I guess fear of like because he was old, <laughs> <laughs> I got you. <laughs> um, I did. I I spoke to him, and it's not like he was a person that come up to me and like, hey, I got something to say to you. It was always me asking a question. So for example, right, like that book um, by Fred Cordova, the lo- the F- Filipinos are lost. Um, um, Asian Americans or the forgotten. My bad, the forgotten Asian Americans. I remember having that book on um the table and then my grandpa picking up that book and he was going shuffling through that book and he was like oh i was there i experienced that watsonville riots i was there i was like nah you're lying grandpa and it's crazy because at that same time i was his age when i was reading that book you know i was like 19 years old reading that book and my grandpa was 19 when he came to america you know so you know, it's just one of those things. It's like my grandpa had to come here and my mom came here, you know, and and then also I'm doing what I'm doing now. It's kind of like it didn't start with me. You know, it's it was something that was born generations ago. I got you. Got you. And mm-hmm. um, are are you uh, bilingual or can you speak fluent? Kind of a little bit. Uh, I understand more Ilocano than I do Tagalog. For sure, for sure. Uh, yeah. I, I'm more Tagalog, yeah. but uh, you know, I, mm-hmm. you know what saddens me a lot, man, is um, the divide. I think that people have told me about, you know, between Filipinos in the motherland versus Filipino Americans. Um, mm-hmm. Is there? Do you have any like strategy for us to kind of bridge that gap, or at least, you know, not? Mm-hmm. I feel like there's a lot of just talking on both sides, and I'm just like. I don't feel that way. I don't. I don't want us to be separated or like feel like we're different people. Um, so yeah, right. It, I think it's um, it's really about understanding our histories, honestly. Like, why have millions of Filipinos left the Philippines? You know, like I've had it where. Um, so, like, one of the questions that my students ask me is like, I don't know why these Filipino Americans so are so embarrassed to speak their language. And I was like, have you ever asked them? You know, because for me, I was able to, when I was like a young, when I was like a kid, I was able to understand and speak like my broken Tagalog or broken um, Ilocano and do English. But then it was um, my experience through a parent-teacher parent uh, meeting. And my um, teacher was telling my parents like, hey, you know what? You should stop talking to your child in um your native language because he has a stutter Mm. you know and so what does that do you know so the thing is that for um these filipino immigrant kids i tell them that it's not because they're embarrassed it's probably also pressures of assimilation you know and so the thing is it's like the context needs to be understood the uh the history needs to be understood because a lot of times um we don't understand why people came to the Philippines, I mean, came from the Philippines to America or North America, 
and why why do we put america in such a pedestal you know it's also this understanding of and 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 for my students it's crazy because when we learn about this this idea about the filipino-american war and filipino-american war was was like a war of genocide on the philippines and, and depending on which historian you talk to over they, they say about 200,000 500,000 some people would say um, over a million filipinos have passed away from that war and people don't even know it was a war people think of it as, a, as an insurrection and what's crazy is that because of that magnitude of such killing of the filipino the americans came into the philippines and created their own american education system there so what do you do with the survivors of war you re-educate them right so you re-educate them so that they can understand that america is you know the roads paved with gold mm-hmm. um american dream the saviors yeah. american dream and so i think on both sides of the ocean we have to really have this critical understanding but if our education systems are not going to support that a lot of it has to be on us because it was by design for us not to know our histories i got you got you yeah i think that's a good good place to start uh would you mm-hmm. would you ever run for office out there <laughs> probably i probably would lose because i can't even speak my own language <laughs> <laughs> maybe there's one city that's a little open-minded who knows who knows man uh it's all all in for progress right uh, but I got yeah, you. Yeah. I got you. And I remembered the question I was going to ask you earlier, but it was uh, oh, work. was was the was being in office as as bad as you thought it was going to be, or like as you know your fears come up, or was it different than what you thought? <laughs> Way different. Like uh, when I got elected in 2018, uh, it was, and then 2019 was cool, and then 2020 rolled through. I don't think, I think people that got elected in 2018 didn't realize what type, what they were, what they got themselves into when COVID hit, you know, anybody that was a politician that ran in 2018 that got in there, man, we're still battling it till this day. Yeah, man. And for people that wanted to get reelected, like it's either you were crazy or you had this deep passion to and purpose to um run again because you felt like you felt you felt you were robbed yeah i got you and that was the case with me i felt like yo like a lot of the ideas that i wanted you know let's do it now you know and yeah yeah i got you got you um all right, man. We made it pretty much. We have about eight minutes left in the in the pod. I want to be respectful for your time too. Um, I want to thank yep. you again for coming through. I hope this has been fun for you. It's been it's very definitely. informative and chill for me. Uh, but before mm-hmm. we get to the closeout questions, we're gonna do this one exercise called the thirty fourth mantra. Um, basically, okay. it's gonna be you talking to you. Um, you know, you, so you'll mm-hmm. have a clip for yourself. But I want you to finish the statements. I am. I can. I will. So it's I am blank. I can blank. I will blank. Whenever you're ready, go for it. All right. I would say I am Pinoy. I can change the world and I will transform generations ahead of me. Got you. If you ever forget, now you got this little soundbite of yourself telling yourself exactly what you're gonna Most do definitely man <laughs> uh, yeah yeah all right man let's move on to the uh close out questions which uh this first one is gonna be from my previous guest uh, i want to shout out to dennis mm-hmm. the guru um his question for you is what drives you to be your best every day oh <laughs> i don't know why kobe Bryant just came to my head right now I'm my favorite basketball man. player but you know <laughs> you know he always had that one commercial and he's like um <laughs> i think i know what you're talking about go ahead go ahead. same animal but different beast <laughs> um i think what drives me every day is the it's all again it's it's, it's really uh anchored in my purpose it's in my it's my purpose to um come together my vision of, of the future that I want the world to become the responsibility of 
the past and what struggles and survival stories that my ancestors have um, emboldened upon me. But it's also like, how do we chip away um, to making that vision come to fruition? And that's why the work that I do, you know, that's the reason why I do so many different jobs, <laughs> different type of work is, is that it, it's, it's historical. It's a historical responsibility for me. Gotcha, man. I, you know, I, I don't doubt that you can carry the weight, man. But I just hope, you know, you have those support systems to help you along the way for sure. Most um, definitely, man. Yeah. And uh, my second to last question for you is, what would you like to ask the next guest on 34 Questions? Mm. Uh, what brings you joy? Mm. Yeah. yeah. I'm just writing it down real quick. What brings you joy? No, no problem, man. Um, you know, because everybody's like, I want to be happy. <laughs> but, you know, happy is just a moment. But joy is like a longer time period. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, I'd like to answer this last question as well. So um, thinking about what brings me joy is I think I'm, I'm the, at my most high level of joy when I feel the most balanced, you know, where I feel mm -hmm. like, you know, I, I, I like to work hard, but I also like to, you know, play hard as well. But for me to play hard and if i know that i didn't put the work in it it feels like i you know i'm not i didn't earn it um and that's very subjective right like someone could tell me oh you've done a lot of work today versus myself telling like me saying i did a lot of work and i should be able to rest um and i think that's my inner battle as far as you know uh, trying to be easier on myself i really don't know you know, I have friends and family tell me you need to be easier on yourself. And I think that there's a whole bunch of other people who would tell me I need to be harder on myself. <laughs> so, you know, internally, <laughs> I'm just like, I don't know. I'm just trying to do what's best for me. Uh, but yeah, so I think True. balance at, at the end of the day for me is is the thing that brings me most joy. Yeah, uh, that's the key, man. I'll try. Balance, bro. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, boss. Uh, the last question for you, the question that ties everything together. But uh, 100, 200, 300 years from now, your descendants are watching this video. What would you like to tell them? Hmm. Oof. Damn, that's a good ass question, man. <laughs> that's a really good question. Um, you said a question or just a statement? Could be either one, man. Like you, it's just them watching this. They're like, oh, this is my my ancestor right mm -hmm. here, and they're just getting to know you after this episode. So it could relate to what you said before. Maybe some words of wisdom, you know, before they the episode ends for them. <laughs> mm -hmm. I think what I would tell them, I would, I would, I would tell them I love them. I love you and I would uh, yeah I would say that I would just say I love you and whatever they take in with that um, they could take it and accept it for what it is because sometimes um, I would love to hear what my answers would tell me you know and seeing what I've done over the 40 plus years I've been on this planet you know I hope I did them proud, you know? So that's the same thing too. I would say I love them and I hope I've done you proud. I hear you, man. I hear you. Mm -hmm. uh, any last things you'd like to add before we head out of here? No, I just want to say thank you to you. Um, everybody be safe with all the families. You know, we get into holiday season and, you know, um, tomorrow is never a given, so illuminate animate give life and you know live your every day like it's your last here man i want to thank you again rod for stopping by i want to thank all the folks out there as well whoever tuned in if you listen on spotify apple Podcasts, or youtube appreciate your time as well uh remember to reach out reach forward as always much love and we'll catch you guys next time on 34 questions peace and Yo. it fades out from there.
And, uh, yeah, man. Um, you know, what was that experience like for you? How, how did it feel going through 34 questions? I liked it, man. I think it's, um, we talked about reflection and I don't think we do enough reflection and, you know, when we do the type of work that we do, we're always fast forward and forward thinking that we never like, you know, stop and like break and easy back it up and just see where you're, what, you, what you've accomplished and where you're going. And I think that's what allowed me to, and also like 2022 as, as all the different responsibilities I've gone through, I never had a chance to like really like stop and think about what happened because 2022 went by so quick and so fast. <laughs> so sure. yeah, I mean, kind of like just chill. Yeah. Right on.